Hello, and welcome to Extra Grim, where we delve a little deeper into the world of fairy tales for the grimmest of grim fans. This episode will explore the Arne Thompson Uther classification of folktales. But first, we will reveal the results of our listener poll and reveal what story we'll be reading next on the podcast. Hello. Hello. Hi there. Welcome to another special episode. Yes. Of Grim Reading. Well, extra grim, really. It is extra grim. It's the sort of show within a show. For the, the grimmest of grim fans. The grimmest you, of grim fans. As you said. <laughs> as I so brilliantly said. Uh, so today, as you brilliantly said, we'll be looking at the Arne Thompson Uther index system. Well, I'm looking forward to it. But first, we are going to announce the results of our listener poll. Yeah, so we launched a listener poll a few episodes ago now. We wanted to ask you guys what story you wanted to read next, rather than just leaving it for us to decide. We gave you a short list of three. You've been voting via various means. The results are in, and we now know what story we'll be reading next. So, oh my word! without further ado, in third place is... Rapunzel with nineteen wow. percent of the votes. Wow, that that's a shock. It was a shock because to me, I think that's surely the most famous of the three, without a shadow of a doubt. Yeah, that's like, there's, that's a Disney thing, right? Yeah, Tangled. Sure. Oh, yeah, that, but that might have put true. people off. <laughs> Do you reckon? Maybe they're like, I'm sick of it. They're more interested in elves or robbers, I guess, or maybe the more niche story. I yeah. don't know. I don't know. Well, let's see. What's, what's well, let's see. What's so, the second place? In second place, and this was fairly close, with 38% of the vote, it's the Elves and the Shoemaker, which means we will be reading The Robber Bridegroom with 43% of the vote. The Robber Bridegroom? It was close. Are you surprised by that result? I think I am, yeah. What would you been your guess at the beginning? Well, probably Rapunzel. I guess, or yeah. I got very excited at the beginning of this when mm. the first few votes were coming in. And they were for my chosen one. Oh, go on, you had your own favourite. Would have been the elves and the shoemaker. Oh, I know, you wanted that one. And I thought I thought it was a shoe-in. I thought that was guaranteed victory. No pun intended. Hey. And then Robert Brygroom just shot it Just ahead. snuck up in, in there and uh, took the lead. I mean, yeah. actually for me, out of the three, I never heard of the Robert Brygroom before. You mm. say it's a famous one, I'd mm. never heard of it. Because of that, that was kind of my favourite to win, I think, because I just don't know it. And it's got an intriguing title. The Robber Bridegroom. <laughs> a thieving bridegroom. I like the sound of it. Well, or possibly even worse crimes from that bridegroom. Then robbing. Then robbing. No! Well, we'll be delving into that next week. Cool. So we've had some correspondence from some of you, and yeah. just thought we'd read a couple of them out. So we had uh, a nice email from Willie Gergen. Very lovely and email. And his vote was for The Elves and the Shoemaker. Good choice. And he also sent us some links to some images by Richard Scarry, the illustrator, because mm. he said that the, the wolf and the seven little kids made him think of these sort of anthropomorphic uh, various animals. Yeah. And it's funny enough, because it reminded me of these books I saw when I was young. Like, I've seen some of his books before. Richard Scarry. Uh, yeah, I forget what they're called now, but I do remember there's like a... A worm that flies a helicopter. <laughs> okay, which is that quite rings fun. a bell weirdly. Yeah, yes, I bet you've seen the same. Unless books that's I just have. from the computer game Worms. 
No, but they were lovely images. They oh, were, they're they were great. really cool. They're so great. And I, I really love all the uh, the images and the illustrations of fairy tales. So we, we put a lot of those on the Instagram account. Exactly. And yeah. on our WordPress, I try and get a few uh, illustrations because we, we love those as well. Oh, so thanks so great. much for that's, that. That's all part of it. Uh, and he's, he's also added at the end of the email, if it is not an imposition, I wonder if I could ask you to give a shout out to our daughter, Caroline, who is moving into her first apartment. She's also a huge fan. Oh, that's just really lovely. So a big shout out to Caroline. Massive shout out to Caroline. I hope she's all nicely moved in because moving is stressful at the best of times. Thank you so much. And yeah, best of luck with the move and your new place. I'm sure it's wonderful. Cool. We also had an email from Chris who says, I love the podcast and think you have something really special here. Oh, stop it. (laughs) Stop it. We definitely did not write this ourselves. (laughs) Uh, I'm almost caught up to date with the back catalogue, but was stunned to hear when the youth who went forth to learn what fear was didn't get a 10 out of 10. Oh, not impressed. I, I, I did give it a high score. I think it was 8.5. It, yeah, you did. And I think I gave it 7.5. So, right. Chris, listening back to the episode, yeah. it was awesome. It was a that cracker story of a story. was so good. It was so good. One of my favourites by far. Yeah. All right. We could have given that a slightly higher score. <laughs> <laughs> and he also says, I would like to officially cast my vote for the next story to be read as the robber bridegroom. Well, he'll be happy. He'll be happy with that uh, result. Uh, we got another nice email from Clifford Timberlake, and he says, I'll vote for the Shoemaker and the Elves. Good choice. Yeah. Good choice. Uh, but we'll be happy no matter which is chosen. Thanks. I mean, they are, they're they all winners, aren't they, really? That's true. You can't really go wrong. You can't go wrong with the Grimm Thanks for that, Clifford. Yeah, I, he's saying lots of nice things, but I won't bore you with those. Aww. But they are very nice, Clifford. Oh, you can bore me. You can bore me. Can, can I bore you bore with, me, the, bore me with all the way nice home? He says, really great podcast. Excellence from the concept all the way to the final production values. Thanks, Clifford. And finally, Kitty Kong says, I want to hear all three. Well, you will in time. <laughs> uh, but if only able to pick one, then the elves and the shoemaker. I think there's going to be quite a few disappointed people who uh, voted for the elves and yeah. the shoemaker. Yeah, well, I'm joining that club. <laughs> no, I, Robert Bridegroom is great. It's great, and I'm going to be looking forward to it. I think we had another comment on Instagram as well for Rapunzel. But uh, And we had another one on Facebook for Rapunzel. People are keen on all the different ones, but yeah. definitely Robert Brygram kind of snuck ahead there at the end. Yeah. So, yeah, looking forward to that. Thank you so much for everyone who yeah, voted. Thanks for, for everyone who voted and who left us comments on Twitter, Instagram, emails. If any of you want to get in touch by any of these means, please do. We would genuinely love to hear from you. Now we're going to explore the Arn Thompson Index folktale classification system. I want to talk about it because it's central to the world of folklore studies. Uh, and indeed, we've come across it in several episodes so already. We have. You mentioned it before. And mm-hmm. there were some brilliant levels yeah. of classification that I've very much enjoyed. That, uh, yeah. We're going to hear some some <laughs> wacky names. <laughs> oh, I love it. I'm looking forward to that already. <laughs> so, yeah. So, I thought it was worth exploring briefly. What the folk? Putting it simply, mm-hmm. the Arne Thompson Uther classification system is used to essentially index folktales by theme, narrative, or recurring phrase. It's a massive attempt to organize the messy world of Indo European folklore and capture every variant of a story under one concise title. More specifically, it's used for three defined purposes one, to identify tale types, two, to isolate motifs or In this case, motifs are narrative units. They're like a sort of mini compact narrative. And three, to locate cultural variants. In their own words, 
There are many different folk tales in the world, but many tales are variations on a limited number of themes. The classification system is intended to bring out the similarities between tales by grouping variants of the same tale under the same ATU category. Okay. So in the study of comparative folklore and folkloristic morphology, which is like the structure oh, of folk tales. Folkloristic, I love that word. Folkloristic morphology. Oh, that, that is, is beautiful. A, that roll is. that around. Oh, I will. Thank you. In my <laughs> own time. It's an essential tool for scholars and amateur enthusiasts to analyse common themes and narratives in folk tales from across the world. Students of folklore studies can use the ATU system to search for a specific story and or a theme and find related titles which are referenced and sourced. Is that clear? That's kind clear, of? I think. I've a couple of questions. Go for it. Um, you mentioned a website. It's not like on thompsonuther.com or something. <laughs> it is. Well, officially, it's a book. Okay. Right? But there is also a website called the Multilingual Folk Database. MFTD.org. I didn't pick up a copy of the book. The cheapest I found the book was like £100. Oh, holy moly. (laughs) But the website is there and available for for you to look at. Oh, cool. People can check that out. And the second question was, did you say, what did you say, Indo-European? Yes. Right. So that's Europe and what? So, well... What hmm. what region are you talking about? Oh boy, delving a bit too deep here. Going already? down that rabbit hole. <laughs> uh, Indo-European is usually associated with language, okay. as far as I'm aware. So it's the biggest family tree of languages in the world, mm-hmm. from India and Bangladesh all the way to Portugal. It's it's hypothesized that there is a common ancestor. For example, if you take word like mother. You right. know, from I'm not I'm not a linguist. Yeah, no, 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 but that's in fair. India, it's got a similar sound to you know. In Europe, you've got mama, madre, mother, muta. Is that in German? So that yeah. you can see that there's a, a common ancestor. So Indo-European folklore is the idea that there's interconnection between stories across Eurasia because they've shared they share some sort of common ancestry. There are two schools of thought, or there or there were in Victorian times when the Grimms were around. One is of polygenesis and one is of monogenesis, of folk tales. The Brothers Grimm subscribed to monogenesis, which is that there is a common ancestor for every single story. So if you have a similar story in India and Brothers Grimm or Norwegian folklore, the Brothers Grimm subscribed to the idea that there was one common ancestor for all those stories and they've spread around the world. Right. But then there's also polygenesis theory, which is that these tales sprung up independently in different locations. And the idea being that human beings are essentially, if you remove outside... Like external factors and things. Yeah. Environmental factors. Exactly. We're kind of essentially the same. So there's like a universality to human experience, which means that the same stories would just spring up because... And the differences are superficial based on your cultural environment. Right. There are definite like connections, but did they pop up independently or are they interconnected? Right. We will never know. Oh, but really? Oh, that's to, a shame. I wouldn't know. To well, that's what's interesting about these. Like, they're, they're... Oh, my God, we're going so deep down our These stories are, if you want, they're kind of the hidden history of the underclasses because they contain ideas, messages that have kind of been lost. Mm-hmm. You could even say that these stories, like the Brothers Grimm's thing as well, that uh, you can trace them back through to sort of pre-Christian times, pre-antiquity, mm-hmm. yeah. and that they contain elements of pagan era and they just sort of echo down these stories the only histories we have are of the rich the learned the 10 percent of the population who could write 
who would write about the great men of their time. The average common person, there's yeah. no history about them really, apart from snippets that you can work out from other histories. Sure. So these stories are kind of... Give us an insight that other history yeah. cannot. There's a quote from the 19th century Sicilian folklorist Giuseppe Pitre, who was a contemporary of the Grimm's, who was inspired by the Grimm's. He said, History should not be a list of men in which their outstanding acts are registered, but the revelation of ideas, passions, customs, and civil interests, in short, of the life of a people, of a nation. I like that a lot. And I also kind of, it's kind of fascinating to think of the idea of a story surviving through the ages and absorbing a bit of the mm-hmm. spirit of the age itself. So it's got paganism, like 18th century puritanical Christianity, modern day Disney uh, dust sprinkled. Like yeah. That. Like it's got, every, it's got all these different... Absolutely. That's kind of crazy. And along that line, you can, you can think in modern life, say the cat, right? It's got wisdom, it's got... Cunning and... Cunning, it's got things associated with it, but in particular, there's a kind of mystical element with it. Yeah. For example, witches have cats, right? Right. Witches don't have dogs. That's dogs so dogs don't have that association. But if you think in ancient Egypt, you had god of cats, you know... Like or the you, big sphinx, right? yeah. That idea of the sort of mystical cat, you can see coming through. Sure. So today we think of like unlucky. Cats are Black unlucky, cats, right? Yeah. You don't have anything like that with dogs. So if you want, I mean, it's tenuous, but you can trace a link from the idea of a cat as good luck or bad luck or having mystical powers all the way back to the ancient Egyptians. To the ancient Egyptians. And it gets morphed and changed as it comes as through. It, and absorbs the different societal values. That's yeah. crazy. We got a very sidetrack there, but it's... We uh, did. Interesting. We made it out the rabbit hole, and uh, it was a fun little trip. But back to the ATU system. Yes. Here's a few enjoyable examples to illustrate the ATU types. Mm. So, okay. in numerological order, we've got number 39. The bear pulls mountain ashes apart so that the fox's old mother can get berries. <laughs> what? <laughs> My mind is melting. What a story that would be. But oh. we don't have the time, Adam. Oh. <laughs> Get ready for number 674. Oh, Go on. Incest averted dash talking animals. <laughs> right, breathe deep. Are you ready for number 1,463? My brain's still trying to process that one. Finger drying contest won by deception. <laughs> And go! <laughs> and they're off. <laughs> oh, this is my favourite, I think. Number 1,689. Thank God they weren't peaches. <laughs> now that is going to be the name of my oh. autobiography. Thank you. All I need is an anecdote to match that. Uh, Mine's going to be Matt Hughes. Incest averted dash talking animals. <laughs> Our life in oh, stories. Incest needs to be averted. I think thank God they weren't peaches are... Like someone throws some fruit, and but the fruit's been changed to not a precious fruit. So it's like, oh, thank God that wasn't the fruit that they thought it was or something, if that makes sense. No, it doesn't. Well, we're moving on. <laughs> Number 2,204, the dog cigar. Is that like the cat's whiskers? Mm-hmm. The no. bee's knees. Close, but no dog cigar. I don't know. <laughs> so, right. 
let's, uh, let's, enough of that silliness. Oh. How does it work? So, tales are organized according to type and given a title, a number, and or a letter. We'll deal with that later. And a description. So a title, a number, and a description. For example, number, type 211. Mm-hmm. Title, the hog who was so tired of his daily food. Description, the pig went to court to get a better way of life, but the fox fooled him on the way home so that the pig was brainwashed and apparently forgot what the judge had said in the pig's favor. Hence, the pig's life stayed as before. The description must contain the main characters, both active and passive, and their opponents must be named, and the tale's actions and objects, and especially its situation, must be recognized. Right. So this is what it takes to be a, a complete type. You need a number, a name, and a description. There are 2,500 tale types in total. Ooh. Entries are first organized by an umbrella topic, and then further broken down by theme or narrative quirk. For example, take the umbrella category, Animal Tales. You can follow that down to subtype wild animals, then to subtype the clever fox. Under that, you have type 15, stealing the partner's butter. And there we find the cat and mouse in partnership. Right. As well as the other tales we discussed in that episode. Ah. So you have animal tales, wild animals, the clever fox, stealing the partner's butter. Right. Cat could, does that then mean that the cat and mouse in partnership could potentially appear elsewhere in the classification system. No, they're only no. ever in one place. Only ever, right. So okay. maybe later we'll see that that could be problematic. Right. Because some stories could fit under different categories. Yeah. As a rule, the Grimm Brothers stories get one type each. Each story has a type. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Oh, right, okay. They a privileged position. Out of the 2,500 types, there are seven umbrella categories. Right, which are the following. Now, bear in mind as well that under these headings, you can supposedly fit every type of folklore narrative a motif ever, supposedly. Wow. Okay. So, the seven umbrella categories are animal tales. Fair enough. Tales of magic. Mm-hmm. Religious tales. Right. Realistic tales. Mm-hmm. Tales of the stupid ogre. <laughs> brackets, giant or devil. Anecdotes and jokes. Nice. And formula tales. Right. So, one more. I'll give you one example to take it from... The top to the bottom. Okay. Hansel and Gretel is under yeah. umbrella category Tales of Magic. I, I was going to say, yeah. Mm-hmm. Magic tales. I think Tales of Magic is sort of the quintessential fairy tale. Yeah. Subtype, Supernatural Adversaries. Further subtype, 327, The Children and the Ogre. But within this type are variations. Hansel and Gretel is under type 327, variation A. 327A, The -hmm. Children with the Witch. And it shares this place with stories from the Czech Republic, from Portugal, and Italy. All these stories involve children and witches and are now categorized. The theme or narrative similarities can be far easier explored by academics and students of folklorology. On Thompson and Uther. Very appropriately for fairy tales, this classification system has three names attached to it. The first is Anti Arn. Anti was a Finnish folklorist who, in 1910, published the Index of Types of Folktale, which was designed to organize Scandinavian folktales. Now, the second name is that of the American folklorist Stith Thompson, who in 19... Excuse me? (laughs) What? What was his first name? Stith. Stith, like T-H. S-T-I-T-H. Ah, Stith. I thought you said Stiff. And I got very confused. Stiff Thompson? (laughs) (laughs) That's for me to know, thank you. Uh, Stiff Thompson, who in 1928 revised and enlarged the list and translated it into English as well. 
And for the best part of a century, uh, there was the AT system, the Arne Thompson system. Right. Uther was out of the picture at this point. He was. Until in the year 2004. Holy moly. Hans-Jörg Uther, he got involved. And his name was added to the title. Hans-Jörg Uther is a German folklorist and professor of German literature at the University of Duisburg-Essen, who in 2004 published the mammoth three-volume book The Types of International Folktales, a classification and bibliography based on the system of Auntie Arne and Stith Thompson. So, Uther and a team of international experts gave the original list a huge shake-up. They completely rewrote the types. Wow. He made them more precise omitted some hyper-specific ones, documented thoroughly their international distribution and the source referencing. He made sure they all had perfect references that mm-hmm. you can go and find where the stories come from. And he added over 250 new types. So there were problems with the original system and Uther's come in with his team. Sure. Sorted it right out. In fact, you can even find online his proposal for oh, really? the, the project. Right. Yeah. I mean, he, he's removed some hyper-specific ones. I think there's still some there. <laughs> I would take a yeah. shot. Hans, I think you might have missed something there. Uh, yeah, you've missed a few. There were also other problems that he had to deal with. So, for example, southern and eastern Europe were neglected. Small ethnic communities like the Basques were not included. Right. And there were also things in there that could be considered sexist, sexist categorizations, with the right. focus being on the males. For example, the category, the brothers who were turned into birds has now become the maiden who rescues her brothers, shifting the focus of, to the action of the sister right, rather than the yeah, brothers, if that yeah, makes sense. That makes sense. Uh, and also sexual connotations were a big no-no with Arne and Thompson. Things of a sexual nature, they classify them under obscene. Oh, right, okay. Which has been changed. So it's still skewed in a Eurocentric fashion. I mean, sure. essentially, it is a kind of European Near East database. Yeah. But Uther claims that for the large part, it's because there are better records. Because going back to the Grimm's and even before that in France and Italy, they were collecting these stories. Whereas the collection of folklore narratives mm-hmm. in many parts of the world is just beginning. They're just now starting to take an interest right. and collecting stories, which yeah. is quite exciting. If sure. You're, if you're a student of folklorology, if that's a word. Folk, folk, folklorism. Folklorism. Lucky dip. There we go. Are you clear on all that? I am wonderfully clear. It's really interesting. And I want to know more. So Well, you are free to buy the book for £100. The oh. Uther book. It's Uther's book specifically you can buy now. Oh, okay. Which is kind of the official one now. There is the online version, as I said. And I'm going to link all this on the blog. I can even link if you want to buy the book. You can. And I'll link Perfect. to the... And there's a really cool article in Atlas Obscura, which kind of explores this as well. Um, oh, cool. So head over to the blog to find all that Yes. Info. I really wanted to do a lucky dip where you literally just pick a number between 1 and 2,500. Oh, I like this. And we read that story. However, the website is incomplete. They don't have all the stories on there. Oh, that's annoying. But it does have some stories on there. Oh, 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 oh. So I've made a selection of four that I would like oh, I you to pick wait. from. Yes, I'm excited about this. <laughs> and we will read. I don't really know them at all. Are you ready for the okay, stories? I'm ready. I'm going to lay them all out there for you. Lay it out. Type 1,158. The ogre wants to look through the gun barrel in the smithy. (laughs) Type 1,453. Bride test, colon, key and flax reveals laziness. I I missed that one. Say again, what was that? Bride test. Bride test. 
Key in Flax reveals laziness. <laughs> <That's> super, <laughs> super intriguing. Type 1682. The groom teaches his horse to live without food. <laughs> Can be done. That, well, it's a polite way of saying he starved it. Oh, you've read that one. <laughs> <laughs> Type 2025. The fleeing pancake. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness I take your pick I've got it down to two straight away the bride and a, the key with the flax and the fleeing pancake do you want to hear them all again the ogre wants to look through the gum barrel in the smithy bride test key and flax reveals laziness the groom teaches his horse to live without food the fleeing pancake the fleeing pancake uh that seems to have got you most excited. I'm going to go for the fleeing yeah? pancake, yeah. Oh, I'm so glad you did. That's the one I wanted to hear. Yes. <laughs> now, before we do that, do you remember when we first mentioned this ATU system in the Laos and Flea episode, I mentioned some incredible tales, specifically type 34B, the wolf drinks water to get cheese. Yes, that was the last one, and I was so intrigued. Would you like to hear it? Yes, please. Let's do it. So, the wolf drinks water to get cheese. Just to give you a little brief outline, you have stumbled upon there a li- French literary titan. So, this oh. is from the original fables of Jean de La Fontaine, who was a celebrated poet, fabulist, orator, and an esteemed member of the Académie Française, and the author of... The wolf drinks water to get cheese. One evening, a fox, who was as hungry as a dog happened to see the round reflection of the moon in a well and he believed it to be fine cheese easy mistake to make yeah of course it's very Wallace and Gromit so far they made that same mistake there were two pails which alternately drew up water so different ends of a winch pulley thing yeah exactly like weighted equally balanced so into the utmost of these the fox leapt and his weight caused him to descend the well where he at once discovered his mistake about the cheese Now he became extremely worried and fancied his end approaching, for he could see no way to get up again, but by some other hungry one, enticed by the same reflection, coming down the same way he had up. Two days passed without anyone coming to the well. Oh no! Time, which is always marching onward, had during two nights hollowed the outline of the silvery planet, and Raynard was in despair. I think he's called Raynard, this fox. Oh what, they just threw the name out like that? (laughs) Why not? Raynard! So he's getting hungry now, and the moon is waning. Oh no. But at last, a wolf, parched with thirst, drew near, to whom the fox called from below. Comrade, here is a treat for you. Do you see this? It is an exquisite cheese made by Phanus. He's like a forest spirit. Oh right, it's not like the god of cheese. (laughs) No. Okay. I don't think there is a god of cheese. There there should be. There so should be. Made by Phanus from the milk of a heffalo. Of a heffalo. Of the heffalo. Of the heffalo. If Jupiter were ill and lost his appetite, he would find it again by one taste of this. I have only eaten this piece out of it, because the moon is waning oh, and it's... Oh, nice. And it's... Yeah, yeah got you. The rest will be plenty for you. Come down in the pail up there. I put it there for you on purpose. A rigmarole so cleverly told was easily believed by the fool of a wolf... Oh, no. ...who descended by his greater weight, which not only took him down, but brought the fox up. And Jean de La Fontaine adds at the end, We ought not to laugh at the wolf, for we often enough let ourselves be deluded with just as little cause. Everybody is ready to believe the thing he fears and the thing he desires. I 
genuinely love that story. That's an interesting moral. Like, we both are too ready to believe that which we want to believe, and we're also too ready to believe stuff that we're afraid of that we shouldn't believe either. And also, this, the idea of a character in a predicament, and the only way to get out of that predicament is to get someone else into that predicament. Mm. That's a fantastic narrative device. Mm-hmm. Like, it really is. Mm-hmm. That's a great story. That's fantastic. I think Jean de La Fontaine is really famous in France. Right. I think he's taught in schools. But he's a very famous, yeah, poet and storyteller. The Fleeing Pancake! Once on a time, there was a goodie. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. All right, I just need to say now, this is a Norwegian story. Okay. uh, And it was translated into English in 1859. So it's old. It's one of the Victorian ones. And in 1859, they went, there was a goodie. There was a goodie. Now, you picked the longest one. But possibly the best. I think quite possibly the best. Let's get into this. What are we going to learn? Once on a time, there was a goodie who had seven hungry bands, and she was frying a pancake for them. I don't know what's going on already. It was a sweet milk pancake, and there it lay in the pan, bubbling and frizzling so thick and good. Frizzling? Frizzling and bubbling. What an amazing word. It was a sight for sore eyes. And the bairns stood round about, and the good man sat by and looked on. Bairn is a child. It's a Scottish word for ch- child. Because it sounds like a can. Yeah. Oh, give me a bit of pancake, mother dear. I'm so hungry, said one bairn. Oh, darling mother, said the second. Oh, darling good mother, said the third. Oh, darling good nice mother, said the fourth. Oh, darling pretty good nice mother, <laughs> said the fifth. Oh, darling, pretty, good, nice, clever mother, said the sixth. Oh, my goodness. Oh, darling, pretty, good, nice, clever, sweet mother, said the seventh. So they begged for the pancake all round, the one more prettily than the other, for they were so hungry and so good. Yes, yes, bairns, only bide a bit till it turns itself. Now she ought to have said, till I can get it turned. And then you shall all have some, a lovely sweet milk pancake. Only look how fat and happy it lies there. Now, when the pancake heard that... Oh, no! It's a sentient pancake! (laughs) Watch out! (laughs) It got afraid. I bet it did. And in a trice, it turned itself, all of itself, and tried to jump out of the pan. But it fell back into it again, to other side up. And so when it had been fried little on the other side too, till it got firmer in its flesh, it sprang out on the floor and rolled off like a wheel through the door and down the hill. It's off. He's off. He's off. He's He's away. Holloa! Stop, pancake! And away went the goodie after it. <laughs> the goodie. With the frying pan in one hand and the ladle in the other, as fast as she could, and her bands behind her, while the good man limped after them last of all. So picture the scene. They're chasing a pancake that's rolling down the hill, yeah. screaming, Freedom! Freedom! He's trying to get away. Yeah. There's the goodie and the seven little bands and the old man like stumbling behind them. Hi! Won't you stop? Seize it! Stop! Pancake! They all screamed out. <laughs> stop! Pancake! <laughs> One after the other. And so tried to catch it on the run and hold it. But the pancake rolled on and on. And in the twinkling of an eye, it was so far ahead that they couldn't see it. For the pancake was faster on its feet than any of them. Wait a second, it ain't got no feet. <laughs> Gotta let that go, mate. <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> and so when it had rolled a while, it met a man. <laughs> Good day, pancake, said the man. God bless you, Manny Panny, said the pancake. <laughs> you, you what? 
God, God, God bless you, Manny Panny. Manny Panny? Is that the precursor to Manny Penny? Dear Pancake, said the man, don't roll so fast. Stop a little and let me eat you. Whoa! <laughs> when I've given the slip to Goody Puddy <laughs> and the good man and seven squalling children, I may well slip through your fingers, Manny Panny, said the pancake, <laughs> and rolled on and on. Goody Puddy and Manny Panny? Until it met a hen. Oh, chicken picky. <laughs> good day, pancake, said the hen. Same to you, Henny Penny. Said, oh, Henny Penny, of course. Said the pancake. Pancake, dear, don't roll so fast. Bide a bit and let me eat you up. Said the hen. When I have given the slip to Goody Poddy, Goody When I have given the slip to Goody Puddy and the good man and seven squalling children and Manny Panny, I may well slip through the, your claws, Henny Penny. Said the pancake. And so it rolled on like a wheel down the road. <laughs> Just then it met a cock. Oh, good day, pancake. Said the cock. Cock, cock. Same to you, cocky locky. Cocky locky. Said the cat pancake. <laughs> Pancake, dear, don't roll so fast, but bide a bit and let me eat you up. I love the fact they're so honest about their intentions. When I have given the slip to Goody Puddy and the good man and seven squalling children and to Manny Panny and Henny Penny, I may well slip through your claws, cocky locky, said the pancake. And off it set, rolling away as fast as it could. (laughs) (laughs) Gotta go! (laughs) Fix this hill. And when it had rolled a long way, it met a duck. Uh Uh-oh, duck puck. Quack. Good day, pancake, said the duck. Same to you, Ducky Lucky. <laughs> Pancake dear, don't roll away so fast. Bide a bit and let me eat you up. <laughs> when I have given the slip to Goody Puddy and the good man and seven squalling children and Manny Panny and Henny Penny and Cocky Locky, I may well slip through your fingers, Ducky Lucky. <laughs> oh, <laughs> this duck's got oh, fingers. Oh, the old duck with fingers? Imagine that, a duck with fingers. That's horrific. Talking to a pancake. <laughs> The pancake's like, I ain't stopping for you. I gotta go. (laughs) With that, it took to rolling and rolling faster than ever. And when it had rolled a long, long while, it met a goose. (gasps) Goosey Lucy. Good day, pancake, said the goose. Same to you, goosey poosey. Oh, he's gone back to the poosey. (laughs) Yes. Pancake dear, don't roll so fast. Bite a bit, let me eat you up. (laughs) When I've given the slip... To Goody Puddy and the Good Man and seven squalling children and Manny Panny and Henny Penny and Cocky Locky and Ducky Lucky, I can well slip through your feet, Goosey Poosey. <laughs> oh, he's going to slip through the feet. And off he rolls. When it had rolled a long, long way farther, it met a gander. Ooh. Is that a female goose? Don't know. What's that a male good goose? For the goose is good for the gander? Good day, pancake, said the gander. Same to you, Gander Panda. <laughs> Gander Panda! That's my favourite! <laughs> said the pancake. Well, you're lucky because it's the last one. <laughs> pancake, dear, don't roll so fast. Bide a bit and let me eat you up. When I've given the slip to Goody Puddy and the good man and seven squalling children and Manny Panny and Henny Penny and Cocky Locky and Ducky Lucky and Goosey Poosey, I may well slip through your feet, Gander Panda, said the hey. pancake, which rolled off as fast as ever. So when it had rolled a long, long time, it met a pig. That wasn't the last one. There was another oh, one. There is another one. Pig, pig. <laughs> Oink. Good day, pancake, said the pig. Same to you, piggy, wiggy. Oh, of course, of piggy, course. wiggy. Oh, I thought you'd get there. No, I didn't. And without a word more, he just began to roll and roll like mad. <laughs> nay, 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 said the pig. You needn't be in such a hurry. We two can then go side by side and see one another over the wood. They say it's not safe in there. And the pancake thought there might be something in that. And so they kept company. But when they had gone a while, they came to a brook. As for Piggy, he was so fat he swam safe across. It was nothing for him, but the poor pancake couldn't get over. Uh-oh. Seat yourself on my snout, and I'll carry you over. Oink. I can see where this is going. 
so the pancake did that. Oh dear. Oof oof, said the pig. <laughs> oof oof. O u f o u f. Oof oof, and swallowed the pancake at one gulp. And then, as the poor pancake could go no farther, why, this story can go no farther either. Cool. What a what a I choice. I feel bad for the pancake. Mm. I feel really bad. He's got a cute little face. He might may or may not have legs. We're not sure. <laughs> well, we're that unclear <laughs> this time. And also the way he got so far. I know. He got past Goody Piddy. And then he trusted the. So all and it the took to trust someone was them to not openly admit they want to eat him. And it's kind of a bit like the scorpion and the toad, the whole yes. river th- crossing gone bad. That's a good one. That's I like really that. That's a good one. And now wow. I really want a lovely buttermilk pancake. Oh, sounds good Ooh. to me. What did you, did you prefer the, the pancake or the wolf? Oh, now that's a question. One had a delicate classical touch. That yes, was beautiful. that was, that, like, that hit me on a very cerebral level. Whereas the fleeing pancake is like a brilliant kids film with a cute little CGI pancake. <laughs> so how can I pick a favourite? That's... Sophie's choice, isn't it? But worse. <laughs> <laughs> Sophie thought she had it bad. Limey. Um, yeah, you know what? You don't have to pick. <laughs> they're both great. They're both fantastic. They're both great. They're not competing. They're just out there. Yeah. Beautiful. Uh, so there you go. There's your two stories. That's what you can use the Arn Thompson Uther Index for. Just a little lucky dip. So if it weren't for the Arn Thompson Uther in Classification Index... I wouldn't have had the pleasure of enjoying the <laughs> fleeing pancake just now. So thank you, Aunt Osmond Uther. Thanks, guys. It was worth it. Definitely. I hope that, w- that this episode wasn't too dry. But I think it's an important thing to be familiar with. Yeah. Uh, and I love the idea of a sort of global culture of oral storytelling. And this is seriously trying to track that. It's a big concerted effort to track that. Yeah. And to find that sort of history and, that, and the coded meanings and just dissect those narratives. Yeah. Pretty cool. Yeah, it's cool. Well, now we're all clear on that, I hope. All clear. We're trying our best here. If anyone's out there studying this stuff, please get in touch. There's not much of a bridge. So if... Uh, right, if someone can is able to <laughs> give us information in more layman's terms, yeah. that's that'd be fantastic. We're trying our best to to understand it, and we're, get, we're getting there. I think so. Next uh, special episode, I'd like to explore biography of the Brothers Grimm. Yes, that, that would be fantastic. We need to know more about Jacob and Wilhelm. I think they had a pretty crazy life. Oh, I bet they did. That was a fantastic episode. I really enjoyed that. An excellent edition of Extra Grimm. And the next episode is going to be, as voted for by our listeners, the Robber Bridegroom. Can't wait for that. I literally cannot wait. Great. It's going to be so good. See you then. See you then. Bye. Bye. You can email us at grimreadingpodcast at gmail.com. We're on Twitter, at grimreadingpod. Also on Instagram and Facebook, grimreading. You can find us on Podbean, podbean.com slash grimreading. And we also have a website, grimreading.wordpress.com. Keep it grim. Grim.